Now, a reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews there from every nation under heaven, living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one had heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked each other, Are these not who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own native language? Perithians, Medes, Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figra and Pamphla, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds and God's powers. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and they said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, he said, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel when he said, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earths below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I'm about to say something controversial. So if you want to get your pen out or perk your ears up so you can write me an email later, now's the time. I'm sure Mary's thinking, oh my goodness, what's he going to say? But it's not that controversial, I don't think, unless it's among biblical scholars, but maybe it is, at least it was to me as I rethought this passage this week, and here it is. I think we've translated, or at least in John, we've translated the name for the Holy Spirit wrong. I think we've done that. In John's gospel, as you know, the Greek name for the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which is sometimes translated as advocate and other times translated as the comforter. It's the second name that I'm calling into question here. I don't just think that the Holy Spirit 
Its only job is to make us feel better. Yeah, I I know it's not that simple that the Holy Spirit does come and comfort us and it eases us and it encourages us and it comes to us in times of troubles and it reminds us of Jesus' presence and of his promise that he will be with us always. I imagine that's what the disciples and the followers of Jesus were feeling after Jesus ascended into heaven and they were waiting in a locked upper room. They were feeling distressed. They were feeling orphaned and abandoned. And so they needed this kind of comfort, this kind of advocacy. And I was reminded of that while running slowly. And I underline and emphasize and, and put in bold the word slowly in the river run yesterday watching Grant and Lucy run ahead of me. But in Acts 2, I don't see comfort at all. I'm just going to be candid with you. I don't see it at all. In fact, I don't think Luke sees it either. He hears reports of fire and reports of tongues and the sounds of a mighty rushing wind. By the way, remember, throughout Scripture, God is revealed through fire. He came to Moses in a burning bush. He rushed down in a flaming gulf of fire and consumed the altar that Elijah had prayed his name down on. He led the Israelites with a pillar of fire by night. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and appeared in the fiery furnace. God always seems to reveal himself through fire. And that should tell us something. Because ask any fireman, and they'll tell you fire isn't comforting. It's anything but. In fact, it's confusing. And it starts quickly. And it lashes out. And it jumps about. And it's scary. And it's unpredictable. And that's what bothers me about this passage. I've preached on this passage 10 or so times, and I've studied it in great depth, and I loved, I wrote several papers on it in seminary, and I always talked about Pentecost as, as doing um, the opposite that the Babel did, the Tower of Babel did. It undid the Tower of Babel, and how that's supposed to comfort us. That's always been my prep, my uh, uh summary in my sermons. But I, you know, and thinking about it this week and then in sleeping on it last night after the day I had yesterday, I don't know if that's true. Or at least I think there's something else going on here, something more confusing than comforting. I mean, my goodness, there's 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 nothing particularly comforting comforting about the rush of a violent wind, let alone descending tongues of flame. And once the disciples take their new multi-language ability into the streets of Jerusalem, pretty much everybody who saw them, Luke says, were bewildered, amazed, and astonished or confused. Bewildered, amazed, astonished, or confused. Again, the Spirit didn't comfort anybody in Pentecost. Instead, it prompted the disciples who were huddled in this upper room to make this very public display in this troubling scene with this seeming good news that the person that the crowds crucified months ago was put to death. Now he's alive. And that's where we come in. 
I mean, my goodness, you have to admit, you have to agree with me that the biggest churches, right? The biggest churches, the, the most successful modern Christian day movements of the last 50 years have been the ones that preach comfort and, and preach healing, health and wealth, anointing and relief. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not so sure that's a good thing. Because when Christianity really grows, I mean, when it, when it really gets moving, when it really catches fire, it's under persecution and not comfort. But most of us don't like what we can't understand. We feel uncomfortable with confusion. And so many of you, I'm sure, are saying, Brad, you are so wrong, as usual. The story goes on to tell us what Peter did. He, he, he stood up and he explained to the crowd. He precisely explained this event. And the miracle of Pentecost was that the language of the apostles was fully intelligible to all people of, of all different dialects. And we can understand everything. But I don't know about you. I'm just not comfortable with that. I'm not Sure, I want to be comfortable with the God who keeps everything nice and neat in the realm of things that we can explain over Sunday school refreshments. What kind of faith is that? How in the world does that motivate us to live for the peace and justice and freedom of God's realm in a world that is so unfree and unjust? What can be more comforting than sitting, sitting in an air-conditioned room and singing songs that quiet us and listen to a preacher that speaks words of relief? I was thinking about this yesterday. I've been in Virginia long enough to know that the same is true here that it is in Texas, which is the buckle of the Bible belt. I think that if Pentecost yeah, would have happened in Texas or here in Virginia yesterday, today, we might have said, well, look, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice that the Holy Spirit is here? And oh, look at that fire. Isn't it beautiful and comforting? Doesn't it warm the place up? Make it feel homey. But if I'm reading the same Bible that you're reading, that isn't what is happening here. At least that's not what Luke is trying to tell us. I don't... I don't think he's trying to tell us that because listen, what he's saying is the disciples got really shook up. I mean, the Holy Spirit coming down didn't quiet their souls and comfort their spirits. It really messed them up. It really got them going. So much so that it changed them from being a group that meets in a room and worships God with quiet hymns to this, this, this force that rushes out of the doors and acts crazy and spontaneous and preaches like a like a fire. Our family spent part of the day, and I mean a small part of the day yesterday, at the Dulles Expo Center packing boxes of food to send to starving children around the world. And I have to tell you, I have to be honest, I went into the center hoping for a nice, quiet, relaxing into the day. I was tired. I'm a human, blame me. We spent the morning at River Run and 
I was already sore just running one mile, and then I had to play soccer, and I got to go on a long hike, and then I was hoping we could go to the expo center and quietly pack some meals. But when I walked into the center, I saw a picture or pictures of malnourished kids, videos that made my eyes well up with tears of children who couldn't walk or talk or wave their hands because they were starving. And then I was, I was flung, I think is the right word, just literally flung into this warehouse of chaos where there was rock music blaring and not Christian rock music. And, and I saw John Kelly dancing the YMCA and, <laughs> and Stan Skokie had a hairnet on and things were really confusing for me. And, Katie was throwing packages of meals and telling me to box them up and it was chaos and it was fun and it was hard and it was amazing. And I, I think I would tell you that I, at least for me, I felt more tired and more alive and more aggrieved than I ever did leaving a church service. And now I'm wondering, I'm kicking myself because I'm wondering if I would have looked up, if I would have just looked up or looked around, if I would have seen the Holy Spirit fire jumping around from table to table. Perhaps, just perhaps, just maybe, just think about it. Perhaps Pentecost happens all the time. If we break through our church doors and see and feel and have the ability, the spiritual ears to hear it. Because people are still crying and starving out for salvation. Everywhere we look, right? People are imprisoned physically or emotionally, mentally, behind walls of depression and loneliness and addiction, shackled with burdens that keep them from living into their identity as beloved children of God. To those of us who think that Pentecost happened once 2,000 years ago, I want to tell you something to the young and to the old that it happened yesterday and that it could happen today. And it'll be confusing and fun and hard, but deep down inside if you see it and deep down inside if you experience it, deep down inside where nobody goes but you, it might just be comforting because that's exactly what we've been missing. Let's just put it out there, right? The cry of salvation is not a simple problem with a simple solution. Jesus said the poor will always be among you. I think that was more of a challenge than anything else. But the cry of salvation is a deep guttural groaning for deliverance. It's a cry that the quick and easy formula of say these six words and the rest of your life will turn out okay and your, your bellies will, they won't hurt from lack of food. It doesn't solve. It's a cry that a date on a calendar or a memorial of what happened a long time ago can't soothe. And it's a cry that Christians who are content to let somebody else do the hard and the dirty work of the kingdom of God, they just can't pacify, we can't do it. It's a, it's a cry that only can be answered with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a Pentecost, right here in our midst. If we want to see some genuine, genuine acts of God, acts of God in our midst, then we, need, we, just, 
need to be prepared for some amazement, some confusion. If we want our faith to be something living, if we want our church to be alive, afresh, anew with the power of the Spirit, then we have to expect that it will only happen to the extent that the God of Pentecost comes and shakes things up and blows things around and starts fires. Let's pray. God, you, like Katie said, you are so confusing sometimes. But just what I need. So confusing and, and, and you jump around and it's hard to follow you and but then at the same time, if I do, I'm so comforted. Give us the resolve and the determination, the will, God, to start fires in your son's name.